everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing pretty well. If you're anything like me, then, well, congratulations, you handsome son of a gun. But also, you spend way too much of your time thinking up potential responses to hypothetical situations that you might never find yourself in, and also, if you do, you're probably not going to use this response. Because even if you remember your lines, the other person probably won't use the lines that you've scripted for them. Well, like you, I'm also a lot like me, so I've been doing that lately. And here's what I thought would be a good thing to say when somebody says something really shitty to you that they pretend wasn't a shitty thing to say. In that situation, here's what I would like to say, but probably wouldn't. Have you ever worked in the service industry? The reason I ask is because everyone that I know who has ever worked in the service industry has a game that at one point or another they end up playing. There's no name for this game, and we usually don't really talk about it, but everybody just kind of intuitively knows the rules. The situation you end up playing it in is there is a customer that you just cannot stand. Maybe they're a friend of the owner who's kind of racist. Maybe they're just super entitled and shitty tippers. Maybe you just worked a clopin and you're hungover and for whatever reason you just can't stand the look on their face. Well, sooner or later, that customer comes in and whether you intend to or not, you end up playing the game. And the game goes like this. You say the meanest, most insulting thing you can to this person that they either won't know is an insult or gives you just enough plausible deniability that you can credibly pretend you didn't know it was insulting. It's a shitty game, but sooner or later, everybody ends up playing it. Now, I bring up this game for a couple of reasons. First of all, I wanted to point out that you fucking suck at this game. And also, I fucking suck at this game, you stupid piece of crap. Alright, now that I've unburdened myself of that dumb monologue that I've been writing in my head, let's talk about a comic book, shall we? Oh, this isn't part of the speech anymore, just so you know. I mean, you could end it like that, but that'd be a weird non sequitur, unless you also really want to talk to this person about a comic book, but that's an even more specific situation that is almost certainly not going to come up. So, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Robert McCarthy. Doctor Strange uses magic to probe the unknown. He can tell if you're a doppelganger or a clone. One question he has left alone is how the hell Eric Payne knows the negative zone. It's okay, we have a whole show to solve this. Maybe help can help us out with this synopsis. Synopsis. 
Sorry, Robert, I'm pretty sure this synopsis doesn't answer that question at all, but thanks for the rhyme. Defenders, number 113, November 1982. Moon Madness! Written by J.M. DeMatteis and Don Perlin. Drotted by Don Perlin. Inkted by Mike Gustavich. Lettered by Shelley Lefferman. Colored by George Russos. And edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup. Nighthawk. Valkyrie. Doctor Strange. Gargoyle. The Beast. Son of Satan. The Hulk. Namor. Silver Surfer, The Scarlet Witch, The Vision, Hyperion, and August Masters? Previously in The Defenders. It's been a pretty rough indeterminate amount of comic book time for Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk. The billionaire do well bird enthusiast was trying to reconcile with Mindy, a psychic ex-girlfriend who had recently programmed some robo-hippies to kill him with laser guitars, when he ran afoul of a fascist former CIA agent named August Masters. Masters kidnapped Mindy and a bunch of other psychics and planned to use them to murder everyone in the Soviet Union. The defenders thought that was a bad plan and attempted to intervene, but Masters and his underlings, who he made dress like Roman centurions for reasons that remain aggressively unclear, got the jump on our titular non-team and took them captive. Mindy and the other psychics didn't want to murder Russia, so they pushed the self-destruct button on the secret base they were being held in, blowing up themselves, August Masters, and for some reason, Kyle. Oh no! The Defenders were pretty bummed about Nighthawk's apparent demise, but had little time to dwell on their grief, as they were soon distracted by a quest to resurrect Valkyrie, who had died soon after Kyle. Fortunately, that adventure, which involved the retconning of Val's origin, the Enchantress boning down with Ursat's Jesus, and a four-eyed giant blue alien who loves to dance, has relatively little impact on this issue. Hooray! The only detail that really concerns us is that during the course of that story, Namor, Son of Satan, and Hulk got lost between dimensions, and Steve went looking for them. After a brief search, the supercilious sorcerer soon found his missing chums on an alternate Earth, hanging out with a surprisingly undeceased Kyle Richmond, and a surprisingly nearly deceased Hyperion, Marvel C-minus stand-in for Superman. Kyle explained that after his apparently fatal explosion, he found himself whisked away to this strange version of Earth, which was in grave peril. For one thing, they had elected their version of Kyle Richmond President of the United States. Oh no! But it gets even worse. A giant alien with performative facial hair had arrived on the planet a little while ago and taken over President Kyle's brain. The alien, who called himself Overmind, had President Kyle transform America into a fascist police state. You know, more so. The Squadron Supreme, this world's C-minus stand-ins for the Justice League, weren't crazy about this policy and confronted President Kyle and Overmind about their concerns. So, Overmind beat them up and took over their minds. The only member of the Ersatz Justice League to successfully resist this mental domination was the aforementioned Hyperion. When Overmind realized he couldn't puppet Hyperion around, he and President Kyle tried to kill him with Organite, a C-minus stand-in for Kryptonite. With the last of his strength, Hyperion escaped to a secret underground bunker in New England and sent out an interdimensional distress signal to the Avengers, who he had met one time. 
Only the signal device was busted and accidentally summoned a handful of heroes stuck between dimensions. Namely, Kyle, son of Satan, Namor, and the Hulk. When Steve heard all this, he teleported in the rest of the Defenders, who brought the Vision, Scarlet Witch, and Silver Surfer with them, because they had all been having a party when they got the call. Once the heroes were assembled, Hyperion stumbled to his feet and provided the additional exposition that during his convalescence, Overmind had used the U.S. military and the Squadron Supreme to not only conquer this Earth, but to build a high-tech moon base from which he intended to launch an assault on the entire universe. Oh no! Oh, also, whatever forces had brought Kyle to this world also brought an equally alive August Masters, who was stumbling around the alleys of Washington, D.C. Also, also, Mindy's face briefly formed in the clouds, so probably something was up with her, too. God, Zooks! Will the assorted heroes from the traditional Marvel Universe be a match for the mind-controlled Halloween Store Justice League? Why is Overmind so keen on mind-controlling everyone? And what will August Masters get up to on this alternate Earth? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so... yup. Because he's being mind-controlled. And he does what August Masters does best. Kill Kyle Richmond. President Kyle and Overmind stand in the center of their partially constructed moon base. They give a little rallying speech to the Halloween Store Justice League members who are helping them build the place. Overmind is like, From beyond the stars shall come Overmind, and he shall crush the universe. President Kyle is like, yeah, what he said. Now get back to work. Okay, so not the most impressive piece of oration I've ever heard, but the audience is being mind-controlled, so the speech is both well-received and entirely unnecessary. Leaving the Squadron Supreme behind to finish the construction, President Kyle and Overmind head inside. President Kyle is like, You know, Overmind, you are the last survivor of a race of evil aliens called the Eternals, who are entirely unrelated to the other Marvel characters called the Eternals. Just before they died, they all dumped their brains into your brain and sent you off on a mission to ravage the universe for them. Man. This planet's Kyle is as bad at small talk as regular Kyle is at, well, everything. Overmind is unbothered by President Kyle's unprovoked exposition. He's like, From beyond the stars shall come Overmind, and he shall crush the universe. Huh. In a different part of the moon base, August Masters is wearing a construction worker's jumpsuit and is sweating nervously as he reflects upon what he is about to do. He thinks about the fact that since he arrived on this strange world, he's been feeling out of sorts. He always thought that a fascist world government run by the United States would be a utopia, but it turns out it kind of sucks. So he forged some papers and stuck aboard a rocket to the moon. He pulls a pistol out of his coveralls and thinks to himself, Well, only one thing to do, and that's kill President Kyle Richmond. Fair enough. Meanwhile, in their secret underground bunker in New England, the Defenders gather around Hyperion and watch as Son of Satan uses his hellborn powers to heal the sickly substitute Superman. The devil-dadded Defender does his best, but Hyperion is still pretty weak. And he's not the only hero who isn't at full strength either. Doctor Strange is like, 
you know, normally I would just teleport us all to the moon now so we could get this battle underway, but I did just teleport a whole bunch of you across several dimensions to get you here, and even my astounding magical powers need a bit of time to recharge. Beast is like, also, didn't you say a while ago that you were going to stop teleporting because every time you did it weakened the fabric of the universe and brought us that much closer to being invaded again by the devil and his pals, the devil, the devil, and the devil? Steve is like, hmm? Beast is like, were you just saying things for the sake of saying them again? Steve is like, well, if you've got a better way for me to hear my own voice, then I'd love to know it. A dehulkified Bruce Banner is like, Look, the point is, we need a way to get to the moon. The teleporter that's built into this bunker is all out of whack, and I'm trying to fix it. But despite what every other comic book would lead you to believe, being good at one kind of science doesn't necessarily make you good at every kind of science. Val is like, Hmm, I'm pretty sure it does. But regardless... Why don't we just have Silver Surfer fly a couple of us up to the moon to sabotage some shit while you work on fixing the teleporter so the rest of us can join them later? Silver Surfer is like, Sorry, Valkyrie, but Galactus put that invisible barrier around the planet that keeps me from exiting Earth's atmosphere. I mean, I'm happy to slam into it at full speed like a pigeon flying into a plate glass window, and in fact I was probably going to do that anyway in a little while, seeing as it is Wednesday, but I don't see how that's going to help us. Valkyrie is like, unless... Surfer is like, oh shit, that's right, this is a different Earth, my bad, yeah, totally, road trip to the moon, who's coming with? Vision is like, shotgun. So, the Vision hops on Silver Surfer's board, and off they go. Once they're out of the moon's atmosphere, Silver Surfer looks back at the planet, and is like, Woohoo! So long, shitball! See ya never! He starts to zoom off into space, but Vision is like, Um, buddy? The Surfer's like, Oh, right, sorry, the moon. Got it. He turns around and heads back towards the moon. Back in the bunker, Bruce's teleporter repair isn't going so great. He gets frustrated and turns into the Hulk. A timely lunar commute is starting to look out of the question, when suddenly, a being of pure crackling psychic energy appears in the middle of the room and is like, Chill out, guys. They chill out. The being's face looks kind of familiar, and after a few seconds, Kyle is like, Oh shit, is that Mindy? The being is like, Yup, or at least sort of. See, when August Master's base exploded, we were able to save Kyle at the last minute by flinging him across the dimensions. Then all of us psychics mind merged together, and we fused into a single being of pure telepathic power. But you can call me Mindy. As Mindy is explaining all this, Kyle thinks to himself, Hmm, for a being of pure mental energy, she's pretty hot. I wonder if I want to date her. Fucking Kyle. Meanwhile, Vision and Silver Surfer have arrived on the moon. Vision turns intangible and knocks out some construction workers, but they trip some alarms and are soon attacked by members of the Squadron Supreme. Silver Surfer beats up Halloween Store Green Lantern, and Vision fuses Halloween Store Firestorm's legs into the floor, but then the rest of the Halloween Store Justice League shows up. Things look pretty bad for the good guys. At least the good guys who aren't being mind-controlled by a giant weird-bearded alien. But 
Then there's a flash of light, and suddenly, the rest of the defenders and Mindy are there to even the score. Hooray! Mindy explains that she was able to use her considerable psychic powers to fix the teleporter, but the effort of doing so took a lot out of her. She's like, I've got to go away and recharge for a bit, or else I'm going to disintegrate or something. But I'll be back later. She beams herself away. As she leaves, Kyle is like, No! Don't go! I still haven't figured out whether I want to be your boyfriend! Fucking Kyle. The gang squares off against the Squadron Supreme, and a lunar Donnybrook breaks out. Everybody fights everybody. The Squadron doesn't do so great. The Hulk beats up Halloween store The Atom. Valkyrie beats up Halloween store Wonder Woman. Kyle beats up Halloween store Hawkman. Steve beats up Halloween store Black Canary. Scarlet Witch beats up Halloween store Zatanna. Beast beats up Halloween store The Flash. Namor beats up Halloween store Aquaman. And Gargoyle beats up Halloween store Green Arrow. If this fight is indicative of their abilities, the Squadron Supreme might want to consider changing their name to the Squadron Two Toppings or Fewer. Throughout this one-sided battle, Overmind and Kyle have been hanging back, seemingly unconcerned that their pawns are being trounced. But once the final squadron member falls, Overmind wades into the fray and makes an immediate impact. Hyperion and the Hulk team up to double-punch the Brobdignation Beardo in the face, but Overmind shrugs off the blow as though it were nothing. He's like, From beyond the stars shall come Overmind, and he shall crush the universe. Then he sends his attackers reeling with a pair of mental blasts that shoot out of his forehead. Well, that's not a good sign. While Overmind is slapping the defenders and their allies around, August Masters sneaks over to where President Kyle is placidly watching the proceedings. Regular Kyle has a feeling that something weird is up with his alternative universe counterpart, and he starts heading in that direction as well. Which is why he gets a front row seat to watch August Masters calmly raise his gun and shoot President Kyle in the head at point-blank range. Dang. Kyle stares aghast at his doppelganger's corpse as blood oozes from its forehead. Then, a funny thing happens. I mean, not funny ha-ha, more funny what-the-fuck. Overmind stops fighting and curls up in the fetal position. He starts shaking and pitifully whimpers, From beyond the stars shall come Overmind, and he shall crush the universe. Huh. Then, something other than blood starts oozing out of President Kyle's lifeless body. A thick, oily smoke starts billowing from his abdomen and coalescing in the air above our heroes into a hideous mass of tentacles, eyeballs, and bad intentions. A booming and sickeningly familiar voice announces that he is free at last. Null the living darkness has returned. To be continued. Wait, who? Not that goofy fuck from the end of the Defenders number 103. The collective ghost of those nihilist moon angels who all wore speedos and played nose flutes? That and all the living darkness? What the fuck?
And joining me once again via the magic of telephonic communication is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty great. How are you? I'm doing okay. It's weird to be recording again so soon. Mm-hmm. For a little peek behind the sausage factory, as I believe the expression <laughs> goes. Uh-huh. We are recording back-to-back episodes because uh, you are going to be gone next weekend. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I hope this is enough of a goof refractory period for us. We just won't be totally spent on our jokes, but uh, I guess we'll see. Oh, that's a bottomless well. You know, the quality of what we dredge up may vary, but, <laughs> you know, there's always something. Fair enough. Well, let's see what that something is. You ready? Sure. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? You know, for something that's 20-odd pages of a fight scene with a lot of dialogue, it was a fun romp. Maybe there was just so much in the comic that we did yesterday. This was like <laughs> a refreshing, I don't know, soap opera type? Not, that's not the right thing, but you know what I mean? It felt lighter. I do know what you mean. It felt really more formulaic than I think I'm used to expecting, not just after last week, but from this specific comic book in general. I thought it was fine. I enjoyed it. I was relieved that it was so straightforward. But for a comic book where as much kind of nutty stuff happens, I guess, it seemed very straightforward. Mm -hmm. Like, I wonder if that difference is this issue was co-plotted by the artist Don Perlin, and I don't think that's the normal creative process for this book, but it felt almost like it was a fill-in issue, although it was in the middle of a story. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. It felt like this comic book was being taught by a substitute teacher. Like, it started with, here we are, and here's where we need to get to, and then for as much shenanigans as they were, it did seem like it was pretty much just like straight lines between those points. Yeah, I get what you're saying there, for sure. There was something in this comic that was a little bit shocking to me, and that's that I don't know that we've ever seen anybody illustrated to be shot in the head and killed as graphically as this. Did I just miss it before, or is this kind of a first in the Defenders? I don't know. I think it certainly is a rarity. It didn't jump out to me in the same way. Maybe I'm just at this point desensitized to seeing Kyle's get killed. (laughs) But uh, I think you're probably right. I don't remember it happening, at least on panel before. Certainly characters have been shot in the head. Scorpio leaps to mind, shot himself in the head. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't remember seeing a depiction of somebody specifically being shot in the head and on panel before. So yeah, I think that would be a a difference. It wasn't the thing that shocked me in this comic, I must say. The thing that shocked me, and I think it was definitely supposed to, was the very end where we find out that Kyle was being controlled not by Overmind, but by Null, the living darkness, the... I don't know, corporeal ennui of that race of lunar nose flute playing uh, underpants angels? So, yeah, I got a little mixed up there. So, Overmind, I thought, was the guy that was the race of aliens that was mad, but it's not. It's these Beholder-looking 
floaty eyeball guys? Well, Null the Living Darkness is the guy who showed up in that previous issue of the Defenders that Dragon, not Dragon Slayer, that's the video game. And no, that's a movie. Oh. Maybe that spawned a video game franchise, too. <laughs> I don't think it did. I think I was thinking of Dragon's Lair. Oh, Dirk the Daring. In which case, that character would be impossible to ever defeat. <laughs> this comic book was much less frustrating than playing Dragon Slayer. <laughs> That's true. But Nova Living Darkness was the guy that showed up in that Devil Slayer issue. Oh. At the end with all the ghosts and stuff, where he was the embodied unwe of that race of moon angels that all played the nose flutes and then like kamikazed into their own planet for no apparent reason because there was no meaning of life or something all right right so to see him show up at the end of this it really was like a real switcheroo because overmind seemingly has a similar origin story in which his race was about to get killed and then they all dumped their brains into his brain and told him to go eat the universe or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you can see them being parallel characters, but that doesn't seem to be the case in this one. Okay, but there is some serious connection, right? Because Evil Kyle, or President Kyle, <laughs> is <laughs> the host of Null, the squiggly monster. Right. And is in the process of evolving into Null, but when Kyle gets shot and Null is released, then Overmind loses his shit and shrinks and starts shivering and stuff. So why is that happening? Okay, here's my thought. I think that Null had initially taken over Overmind's brain, and then they came to Earth, and then Null jumped into President Kyle's brain, and then was puppeting Overmind through Kyle for some reason. Okay, yeah, that checks out, and that explains, I guess, to a degree why Overmind is only capable of uttering the same sentence over and over. <laughs> I know, he's like the most long-winded Groot ever. <laughs> From beyond the stars! I wonder if he's saying it in different tones, like, Overmind, what do you want for breakfast? From beyond the stars shall come Overmind, and he shall crush the universe! Wait, is that bacon? I I, <laughs> I I heard bacon. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. And I definitely noticed that before we got to the, I was like, something's up with this Overmind guy. I mean, I knew something was up with him anyway, but something very different than it seemed like had been up with him previously. This issue does seem like an almost Wolfman-esque directional change midstream in where the comic had been going. And I don't know the reason for that, but... I don't know, it didn't bother me as much because it's not something that we get all the time from this comic book. Mm -hmm. But it, it was an odd shift, I thought. And maybe I was wrong. Maybe it had been the plan all along. Tough to say. So despite that confusion, I still enjoyed it. That said, I do think Hulk speaks for us all on page 21 where he says, Now what? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's when the tentacle monster starts crashing out of a glass thing that it was in. <laughs> Okay, they had been hinting throughout the issue that something was up, that Kyle was maybe the brains behind the organization. And August Masters is fixated on killing Kyle, possibly because he twigged that something was going on, possibly just because he likes killing Kyles. Part of me did kind of wonder if, after he killed President Kyle, the defenders were like, how did you know something was going on with him? And August Masters was just like, oh, something was going on with him? 
I just like killing Kyles. Yeah, everybody needs a hobby. But also, you get the feeling that Earth Kyle, or our Earth's Kyle, knew that something was up with President Kyle, too, although it doesn't say how they knew that. And then what was up with him? Like, the way that that came out seemed very, like, alien-influenced, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it had laid eggs inside his head or something. Ew. Yeah. So, did you get the sense that Masters is supposed to be a somewhat sympathetic character now in this issue? Or are we still supposed to think he's a super bad guy and we hate him? I couldn't really tell how he was being written. I think we're supposed to be more sympathetic towards him. We are supposed to see him more as a broken character. And we had speculated about this last issue where being in this universe seems to have woken him up to the fact that what he thought would be a utopia where the U.S. is a fascist police state isn't all it's cracked up to be. And I think the fact that he is reluctantly, perhaps, or in a very damaged way, now on the side of the angels does make him... I mean, you know, not the lunar angels who formed Null the Living Darkness, but, you know, the good guys, Ah. is supposed to make him more sympathetic. I guess so. That's sort of how I read it, too. But I just, my brain kept going back to, like, he was ready to kill all the Russians. Yep. No, he, he's a bad guy in, I think, a kind of irredeemable way. It kind of reminds me of, like, with Devil Slayer or Ian Fate. We're b- supposed to feel sympathy for both of those characters, because even though they've done horrible things, they're now having a bad time. Mm-hmm. And Jack Norris, right? Very disconcerting to lose a spouse somewhere. Yeah, I, I don't like misplacing my car keys. Where's my keys? I wonder if that is his one quote for looking for anything. And it goes to immediate distraught and angry. You know it does. What an ass. Yeah, we're staying at that rental place right now, and I can't find anything. I would constantly be saying, like, where's my coffee mug? Oh, hey, did your uh, truckload of um, Yankee Candle wooden candle lid things show up? No, they just brought regular wood, but we do have wood to burn now. Oh, well, that's nice. It is nice, but uh, I, w- I will say, those uh, candle lids did burn really well. Seems like kind of a design flaw if they're designed to... I was just thinking that, yeah. Huh. <laughs> there are a number of quirks about the place that we are staying right now. I think I was telling you earlier, a lot of the hinges of the cabinet doors are just put on wrong in a way that the doors won't close all the way. And it's driving me nuts enough that I think I might try to fix them. But if I do, I am exactly petty enough that before I leave, I am undoing any repairs that I have done. Oh, yeah, you don't, you can't give it away for free. No. You paid good money for those fucked up doors. <laughs> uh, where, where were we? <laughs> I don't know. So instead, let's talk about Mindy. Hmm. We get a big revelation that Mindy is in fact not dead, but has merged psychically with all of the other psychics and formed a being of pure crackling psychic energy Mm -hmm. that Kyle maybe wants to date, Well, but isn't sure about. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty qualified, right? He's like, well, I mean, only if she still thinks I'm hot, but with all (laughs) those other personalities in there, I don't know if she does. 
he's nervous. Plus, even before that, she wasn't that mentally stable. So I don't know if I should be dating her, but probably I should. I love that that is his reaction to a fused being of pure energy who appears before him. To the point that when she's like, I can't hold my physical body together any longer. I'm about to dissipate. I have to go now. His vocalized thought is, wait, don't go. I've got a lot of questions. I know. It's like, I know. If somebody says, I, I, I'm sorry, I need to go right now, or I'm, my body is going to dissolve, that is maybe the wrong time to pop up with, but there are many things I need you to do for me. <laughs> Answer these questions so that I can figure out how attractive I find you. Right, yeah. I know we're trying to save the world, but I need to figure out if I think you're hot or not. <laughs> Crazy, but hot, am I right? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's the kind of guy we're dealing with. It really is. Almost, in a way, comforting to know that some things don't change with death or dimensional shifts. <laughs> Universal constant, mathematics, and Kyle being an asshole. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That being said, there are some questions about Mindy I would like answered that don't relate to her potential dateability. One of them is, it doesn't make any sense, still, how they ended up in this dimension, and why. Her stated reason is, well, just before the explosion, there was barely enough time for me to fling Kyle to safety. And that was how he ended up here. Mm -hmm. Couple things about that. It was a explosion that was set on a timer that you set, <laughs> Minty. So you had exactly as much time as you needed to do whatever you wanted. You were also the person that insisted that Kyle stick around for no particular reason. And if you had to fling him to safety... Look, there's a lot about interdimensional physics that I don't understand. Seems to me like it might be easier to just fling him... I don't know. Outside the building. Yeah, a hundred feet or so to where the rest mm. of the defenders were standing. Uh, you want to be really on the safe side, I don't know, fling them to Boulder or Denver. You're in Colorado already. Like, mm -hmm. why to a completely different dimension that is both physically and, I don't know, metaphysically so far away? Because he ended up in New England, I think, in this other dimension. So he's traveling through both time and whatever a dimension is in terms of a commute. It just seems like a really odd choice, especially that she decided to bring August Masters with her when the whole reason she wanted Kyle to stay there for the explosion was to make sure that August Masters didn't escape. It's a lot about Mindy that doesn't quite add up here. Oh, that's okay, Hub. I'm, I'm sure it'll all become clear in the subsequent issues. You're right. That is generally the trajectory of these comic books. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it works, right? Right. Anything that doesn't make sense gets almost immediately cleared up or is a valid and planned plot point. You're right. Yeah. Foolish of me. We may have to wait a few years for an annual that's really big to go explain it all, but that's cool. Yeah. I think the only thing that I feel bad about August Masters for in this is that he is apparently so sad that he doesn't even take the time to make anyone dress up like a Roman centurion. Oh, I know. He's all kinds of mixed up. Yeah. You know, one other thing that I really liked about this issue is just how incredibly human 
Bruce Banner is on page eight when he gets so pissed off that he can't fix the teleport <laughs> machine that he slams the door of it and crushes a wrench and turns into the Hulk. Yeah, that has been my general experience with home repair. Mm-hmm. So yeah, these these cabinet doors are fucked. <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're just gonna tear them off and Hulk out. And... Probably. There is something that is so uniquely frustrating about understanding exactly what you need to do and just not being able to make it happen. Yeah. Laminate flooring, the click together. I know this has come up on the show several times because it's a sore spot with me, but I just, I really identified with that panel. Hulk is sick of it. I can appreciate that. He's not the only super heroic character in this book who is depicted in a very human way. We also have the Silver Surfer. When he realizes that he can leave Earth's barrier for the first time in, like, forever and go back to space or whatever, he takes a mission to go to the moon, the vision comes with him, and as soon as he gets into space, he's like, all right, I'm fucking out of here. Wee! I'm gonna go explore and surf around. And the vision has to be like, uh, dude, we're doing something here. And he's like, oh, fuck, right, sorry, sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed that, too. Hey, speaking of the vision, did I read it correctly that the way that he is dispatching the uh, adversaries on the spaceship or space station is reaching inside their bodies and like squishing their internal organs with his hands till they die? I don't think till they die. I think just, you know, a little bit. Till they pass out? Yeah. That is fucking creepy. Well, he, it is a creepy power. Whenever anybody can turn insubstantial and make other people turn insubstantial too, it really does freak me out. Like, probably more than it's supposed to. I don't think I'm supposed to think about it as hard as I do. But, like, a common thing that they will do is turn insubstantial and then drag the person down into the ground and then turn them solid again once they're in the ground. And it's like, well, that person doesn't have legs anymore. Their legs are fused with a desk, and they can't get them out without sawing their legs off. That's scary. Physics isn't my strong suit. I have heard that idea of, like, two things can't occupy the same space at the same time. I, I know there's some loopholes there. Sure. That sounds like a pretty dicey proposition, though. Yeah, I, I wouldn't care for it. I don't want to end up a desk centaur or whatever. Like, we saw one of those guys before, where, like... His bottom half is a flying desk, and his top half is, is a torso. Mm -hmm. Awful fate. As bad as that is, a floor would be even worse than a desk. Yeah, people are going to walk all over you. <laughs> oh, I will <laughs> add the badumch there, but Thank you. It, it is under duress. Noted. We see a different side of one of the Squadron Supreme characters in this. Tom Thumb, we had speculated before, being a knockoff of the Atom who can shrink down real small. In this, we see that he is just a small guy who has a bunch of different inventions and shit and loves to fight. And I did some looking into it. He is actually supposed to be a hybrid character who is a knockoff of both of the Atom characters from the DC Universe. The Golden Age Atom, Al Pratt, who was just a little fella who loved to fight mm -hmm. and dispense two-fisted justice and stuff. And then the Silver Age Atom, who was an inventor. So they mer merged them into one character where he's just 
a small guy who likes to fight and has a bunch of inventions, but I don't think he can alter his size. He, in this issue, and probably the green tights have something to do with it, was really reminding me of uh, Gizmo also. Yeah, I can totally see that. It would honestly not surprise me that much if Gizmo was inspired by him, maybe in Mm -hmm. a way. Although the timing of that, I'm very confused about. I don't know what happened when. We're in that weird period where now we are reading Defenders comics that came out after some of the new Teen Titans comics that we've covered. So... I don't know. It seems like they shouldn't be able to occupy the same space, kind of like a supervillain's leg and a floor. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're going to end up with some desk centaurs here. We should proceed carefully. Always. What did you think of the cover of this issue? I really like the, uh, you know, godlike stature that Overmind has, the way that he's drawn with all the action happening in front of him. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty cool. I like that it says too many heroes dot 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 (laughs) yeah that piece of copy on the cover and the general layout of it really reminded me of the defenders for a day issue where there was a giant freaking out kyle in the middle of it and just all heroes zooming around in front of him and i wouldn't be surprised if that said too many heroes on the cover of it as well Mm. but yeah this had a similar vibe to it i don't think it was quite an homage i think that might just be kind of a standard cover that you sometimes get during this general era but overall i thought it was pretty cool yeah good action a lot going on it was also the first time that i had really noticed the color of overmind's beard he's a redhead mm-hmm. which i had noticed the shape of his beard before but but not its, its particular hue and it made me realize how many red-haired comic book characters have psychic powers of some kind It's not all of them, but it's almost all of them. Oh, man. Thank goodness Kyle doesn't. Is he a redhead? I thought he had brown hair. Yeah, it's weird. In this copy, his hair is the same color as uh, Overmind's beard. And in this comic book, he has psychic powers. Oh, because he's actually the space blob. Yeah, that is mind-controlling all the other people. I wonder if that came with that. Corey, do all red-haired people have psychic powers? Hmm. It is odd that that is a comic book trope that seems pretty far-reaching that had never really occurred to me before. But if you just look at it like Jean Grey, Lilith, Patsy, Danny fucking Chase, I feel like there's others too. But Well, hmm. what's the uh, uh, Jazzercise Aquaman on the Squadron Supreme? That, that guy's got red hair. Uh, amphibian. Well, he can... Uh, well, he, he can, can control fish. Exactly. Mm, you may be onto something. Uh, We don't know about Professor X. Maybe he would have had red hair. (laughs) Same for Moondragon. Huh. Huh. It makes me think back to, like, the very early appearances of Lilith, where she was coded as being Asian in a really fucked up way. Mm -hmm. And then there was just, like, I think a miscommunication between the art and the writing on that. I wonder if that is a thing where... If there was a character that was going to be having mental powers, they wanted to exoticize them and make them appear other in some way, but they weren't yet willing to have characters of other races appear in comic books for the most part. And they're like, well, red hair is as exotic as we're willing to go. Could be. I don't know. That's a lot of hypothesizing, but the the point is Overmind has a red beard. (laughs) Noted. 
One thing that I hadn't noted really before is that their underground bunker that they're staying at is in New England. That's kind of nice. Yeah, where do you think it's at? Mm, I'm going to say it is under Prescott Park in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Oh, far out. Nah, it doesn't really work. There's not really that much woods at Prescott Park. It's mostly a pretty manicured lawn, so probably not there. Uh, I don't know. Where do you think they are? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, there's a forest and there's like a meadow type thing. Yeah. Maybe they're in New Durham, New Hampshire on uh, Lake Merry Meeting. Oh, that's nice. Let's put them there. They, you know, they deserve to stay someplace nice like that. Yeah. And go out and dangle their super feet off the docks, watch uh-huh. the sunfish nibble at them. Sure. Uh, maybe uh, try to catch a crawfish with their cousins. Uh-huh. Then go have lunch at Foxy Johnny's, where their other cousin uh, is a dishwasher. And they order the French onion soup because they know how much he hates having to clean those dishes when the cheese gets baked onto him, and they think it'll be funny. But then they realize they're being kind of dicks and they have to apologize. Yeah. Yeah, that seems like the sort of thing the Defenders would do. <laughs> yeah, they love a Foxy Johnny. Sure. I think that place closed a while ago. It's a good name for a restaurant, though. Huh. I recently came across a Twitter thread where somebody posted that they were reading a book and a character was described as giving another character a big New England smile and the reader was wondering what the fuck that meant. What do you think a big New England smile is? Well, my first thought is whoever wrote that book's never been to New England. Right. But I don't know. Maybe it's like a nod, a curt nod. I can see it being a curt nod. I think what I ended up deciding was responding to a question with a one-word answer after avoiding eye contact and drinking a beer for a full minute. Whoa. I think that's a big New England smile. Yep. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we get into the minutia? Oh, there's plenty, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll come up in the minutia. Uh, yeah. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what do you feel like starting off with? Hmm. Would you like to talk about a pie that's not made out of steel? Corey, I am down to talk about any kind of pie, but especially a pie that isn't made out of steel. What words did you like in this comic book? Much like you would like a pie if it were not made out of steel. My favorite words in this comic book were just one short sentence on page 17 from Namor, Mm. and it's a good zing. He's zinging Amphibian by saying, your arrogance is as laughable as your ignorance, my friend. Ooh. He doesn't mean friend. No, no. He means friend like pal or buddy Mm -hmm. or chief. Yeah, no, that is pretty good. I had a couple of shorter ones that I liked, and I had one longer one. For the shorter ones, I liked Hulk's explanation of what has happened with Overmind when he says, Big Brain is acting like a baby. I like that too. And it made me concerned for Hulk's experience with babies because at that point, Overmind is, I guess he's in fetal position, which is baby like, but he's also just like convulsing or shaking, <laughs> <laughs> kind of rocking back and forth. It's oh, like, dear. That is not a healthy baby. 
No. Wow, I hadn't thought of that. I was just thinking that big brain is acting like a baby is a way that you could respond to so many comments on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Guy who thinks he's really smart just whining about something completely inconsequential. Oh, boy. Big brain is acting like a baby. I'm actually going to need to take a picture of that and see if uh, it can get memefied. You know, I think I told you the week before last, I guess, I lost my phone. Mm Mm-hmm. And, oh my gosh, it's been so refreshing not reading comments on things. Yeah, I can imagine that being the case. Like, I know I can fire up the old web browser and do it there, but I haven't. (laughs) And, uh, gosh, it's a breath of fresh air. Yeah, it really makes me nostalgic for the days when I used to periodically not pay my phone bill and people had to get in touch with me by pulling on a string that I had hanging out of my second floor apartment window. Yeah. I have less nostalgia for that. (laughs) Well, there was a lot about that era that wasn't particularly great. (laughs) I mean, not being able to pay my phone bill wasn't done purely as a social experiment. (laughs) But I'm glad for you that you've been able to get away from just mindlessly checking and rechecking our LinkedIn page and Sea Captain's only account. Yeah. In addition to Big Brain is acting like a baby. I also really did like something that the Beast said about Overmind, which is, you know, guys and gals, he's very big. I enjoyed that, too. Just a fun understatement. Just like it looks like he has gotten much, much bigger. I don't know if his size is supposed to fluctuate or just the illustration style depicting Overmind seems to fluctuate, but he seems to vary from being like a tall regular guy, maybe like seven feet tall, seven and a half feet tall, maybe, to being like 20 or 30 feet tall. It is a little confusing. Yeah. But I think maybe my favorite piece of writing in this issue is on the second page, or rather the third and second page. It's weird because of the panel layout, because it starts on the third page and then finishes on the second page on a different tier. But, uh, Despite the casualness of his words, the dead tone of President Richmond's voice makes it clear that he too is under outside control. But he has been chosen to act the part of a leader in this cosmic tragedy, and the play must go on. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Although I do think, if we're just going overall, my favorite probably is still Big Brain is Acting Like a Baby. Good choice. Let's talk some fashion, Corey. Sartorially speaking, which elements of fashion in this issue do you find most worthy of note? Well, I feel like we got most of it out of the way in the previous issue as we went through the whole squadron. Mm -hmm. Um, This one I really took note of. So when August Masters disguises his way into Moonbase 1, he does so by donning some coveralls. But he leaves his uh, government duds on underneath which I don't know if that's just he was in a hurry or I feel like he's the kind of guy that feels naked without a starched shirt and a tie. Mm. Like he just has to have that, like even on weekends. I think you're probably right. It it is odd. I wasn't sure to what extent he kept it zipped normally. And if when he unzipped it, that was him taking off his costume or if he was just wearing a coverall with a shirt and tie, which I think is kind of a good look. A weird look. It it definitely is a weird look, but the idea of wearing, like, a jumpsuit with a shirt and tie under it, like, I always liked the look of wearing 
a track jacket with a shirt and tie under it. I think that's kind of cool. And this seems to be kind of similar. Yeah, really uh, interesting um, blue collar, white collar thing going on there. Absolutely. We talked in broad terms about the Squadron Supreme, but I don't think we covered all their fashion because uh, maybe we talked about this in an earlier appearance of this character, but I wanted to focus on the wizard a little bit. He has an arrow on the top of his head that is pointing at his sunglasses. So either it is just an arrow pointing at his face to be like, I can run really fast and I'm going in that direction (laughs) or something, or it is an arrow pointing at him like an I'm with stupid type of thing. I wonder how often people will tape I'm with stupid signs to his back because, sorry, the wizard, you do seem kind of stupid. Or if it is an arrow pointing at his Squirtle Squad style sunglasses. As if to say, hey, check out these Squirtle Squad sunglasses. Yeah, there's not really any way to know. Yeah, I hope it's the sunglasses one. If he's just really, really proud of those sunglasses, and so as part of his costume, he just drew an arrow on his forehead, saying like, hey, check these out. Mm -hmm. It is a weird choice. I don't think I like clothes with arrows on them. I think I do. Hmm. It can be just a very clean design look, I think. It is tough to know where they're pointing, though. Well, it's just going to generate the same list of questions that we have about the wizard. Yeah, that's fair. I don't think I have any clothes with arrows on them. Yeah, and, you know, not to disparage any of our wonderful audience (laughs) who's sitting there wearing their arrow-inspired duds. Sure, sure. But if you are, drop us a line. Explain what's up with that. Where's that arrow pointing and why? And hey, if you're going to do a riff on an I'm with stupid thing, why not take it in the other direction and just try to elevate those around you and uh, make a t-shirt that says, I'm with smart, huh? Mm, That'd be nice. Yeah, you can tell the caliber of a player by how much he elevates his teammates. So uh, get out there and be a real winner. Get an I'm with smart t-shirt. Don't be a Michael Jordan. (laughs) No. Be a Magic Johnson. Be a Doug Flutie. <laughs> Always be a Doug Flutie. Oh my god, the younger listeners are just like, what the fuck are they talking about? Oh, Corey, Doug Flutie's a cultural universal. Everybody knows Doug Flutie. Good to know. I showed you that collage that I made, right, where I took a Doug Flutie children's book that I had, and I cut out the phrase, even Doug Flutie seemed surprised at what they had done, and I uh, put that caption under a scene of the crucifixion, <laughs> where everybody's <laughs> looking up at Jesus on the cross. <laughs> Oh, boy. I do recall that. Yep. All right. Back to work. Corey, every issue of a Defenders comic book has a best defender and also a worst offender. In this issue, who did you have as your best defender and who did you have as your worst offender? Hmm. Yeah, was my best. I had um, Son of Satan. Hmm. Didn't get a lot of airtime, but he saved Hyperion's life, and I think that's the only life-saving that we see in this comic book. Interesting. I actually went with a life-taker rather than a life-saver. In a move that shocked no one more than myself, I think August Masters is the best defender in this issue. He kind of saved the day. Yeah, he released Null the Living Darkness, but uh, when he killed President Kyle... He got the job done, 
And he also did a good job infiltrating the moon base. He put his Roman centurion fetish aside. I don't like the guy, but I think he did a good job. Then you are going to be surprised to hear that my worst defender is none other than August Masters for pretty much all those reasons. You're mad that he didn't make anybody dress like a Roman centurion? Not enough centurions. Released a giant evil squiggly eyeball thing. First bloody headshot that I can recall happening. Yeah, but it was a Kyle Richmond. That, you know, okay, he gets a few <laughs> points for that, sure. But uh, no, I think he did a bad job because he went in just like he did last time with this utter certainty that I know what is right to do and I'm going to save the day. And so, yeah, last time he didn't get to do the genocide good mm -hmm. this time he shot fake kyle but yeah the result of which means it's gonna be several more issues before we know what the fuck is going on <laughs> i think it brought things to a head quicker i think if we had had Null the living darkness has his full incubation period then he would have been hiding inside of president kyle even longer we'd get more issues of this mm. well no way to know i guess not for my worst offender, I had Kyle. Uh, not the President Kyle who got shot. I don't think he counts as a defender. I had Nighthawk Kyle for just the, the whole thing with Mindy, where, like, somebody is dying or cannot keep their corporeal body together and is definitely going through a whole ton of shit, and his whole thought process is, do I still want to date this person? I don't know. I mean, hmm. like, how corporeal is she? <laughs> Exactly. Bad job, Kyle. This is not the time for that. Ay, ay, ay. I guess Mindy wasn't a redhead. Hmm. But maybe that was why she was more susceptible to comic book madness. She didn't have, like, the special red-haired gene that allows her to control her psychic powers. And that was maybe what led to her mental instability. Could be. Hmm. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect this issue? Oh boy, there are some good ones. I know we always love a good wood. That's the sound <laughs> of a butt hitting the floor. And it is always the sound of a butt hitting the floor. I never thought of that before a few issues ago in this comic as one of those, like, proprietary noises where this action makes this noise, like the snicked of Wolverine's claws or the thwip of Spidey's web shooter. But I guess wood is the noise of a butt hitting the ground. Doesn't matter what kind or what it's clad in. Could be armored, could be spandex, <laughs> could be big, could be tiny. It's always mm -hmm. a wood. Nice. It unites us all. That said, the noise that tickled me the most was the sound that it makes. And I'm sure it really sucked for the princess of power, the butt of Val's sword hitting her in the helmet. And it goes, spang. <laughs> spang was pretty good. I really enjoyed that panel. That was one of a few very satisfying kind of slapstick panels of Squadron Supreme members getting hit. It really seemed to emphasize the fact that the Squadron Supreme in this issue are kind of paper tigers. Like, they are built up to be this super awesome fighting force, and maybe because they're being mind-controlled or whatever, the Defenders seem to pretty handily hand them their asses. But you get the spang of Power Princess getting bonked on the noodle. You get the bash of Kyle punching Captain Hawk in the face. And Captain Hawk also is being a real dumb there. 
He's like, as soon as you come through this opening, I'm going to get you so bad. But you see, the reason he can't get through the opening to get it, Kyle, is because he's holding like a pike and it won't fit through the door frame. He's like a dog with a stick in his mouth that can't go through a fucking fence. It's hilarious. I was totally reminded of that, like, uh, meme or something of a dog trying to get in the dog door. <laughs> Just trying again and again with the stick in his mouth. <laughs> bonk, bonk, bonk. Oh, Captain Hawk. But I think maybe my favorite sound effect in this issue, there, there's a couple. There's, frankly, a kind of lazy one, I feel like, where it is the big climactic first clash between the Defenders en masse fighting the Squadron Supreme en masse. And it just makes the giant noise bang in the background. And I don't mm -hmm. know why it would be making that noise other than it seems to be a dialogue choice, like leading into that. Like the dialogue says, this whole thing will start with a bang. And then that got illustrated with a sound effect, which doesn't really make sense there. But I do like just a classic sound effect like bang. It should have been more of like a crash or something because there's broken glass flying everywhere. Yeah. I think my favorite is spam. S-B-A-M-M, -M, which is the sound it makes when <laughs> Dr. Spectrum picks up Silver Surfer's surfboard like a cricket bat and whacks him over the back of the head with it. It makes the noise spam. And uh, it made me wonder if that was like a medieval thing, like uh, God's Bam, that kind of a portmanteau. So probably. Probably it's an abbreviation of God's Bam. Oh, God's Bam? Yeah. I feel like we talked about this on the show, but I forgot. So how's, how's that go? Expressions like zounds or zblood used to be fairly common expressions because you couldn't say the word God. So you would shorten it to zblood for God's blood or zounds for God's wounds. But there were actually a lot of them that you would swear by God's whatever and then it would get shortened into a single word that would start with an s or sometimes a z hmm. comes up in shakespeare a fair amount but uh, I, I think it started before then so spam is a portmanteau of what words uh god's bam what's god's bam well it could mean that god's just been doing a lot of like cajun cooking and watching emerald lagasse but probably it means he's got a favorite guy named bam like, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, probably. I think he's probably the top Bam that God loves the most. Uh, Bam 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 from... The Flintstones? Yeah, well, he, he couldn't be because, you know, that was before the birth of Jesus. So so wow. he, he's going to hell. Poor little guy. I mean, this, this is, it, it's a medieval expression in, in medieval Europe, so it would be the, the Christian God. So, you know, Bam Bam is definitely out because, you know, he's... He wasn't a Christian. Didn't Definitely not God's Jesus. favorite. Right. Uh, and then uh, Bam Margera seems like he's been through some shit lately. And I don't think I don't think the Lord seems too fond of him. So I have to say it's probably uh, former pro wrestler Bam Bam Bigelow. OK. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably it. Yeah. So it's <laughs> a good sound effect. I think he nailed it. Corey, let's have ourselves a. Battle of the Band Names! In this issue, what band names were you able to find in the text? Uh, I got two. One of them was part of your favorite dialogue. Ooh. And that is a band whose music 
is probably a style of um folk. They're a folk band. Hmm. But they sing about sad stuff, and they're called This Cosmic Tragedy. Ooh, This Cosmic Tragedy is pretty good. You think they're folk music? Yeah, I guess I can see that. I was just thinking it kind of reminds me, for whatever reason, of My Bloody Valentine. They're not folk music. No, they're not. So <laughs> maybe maybe these guys are, are more rockin'. Maybe. Tough tough to tell. It's a good name, though. Uh, my first choice was Sneaky Tactics, which I think Ooh. is like a cheeky mod band from the late 60s. Mm. Like maybe they would, would have played a couple of shows with small faces or something like that, but... Sneaky Tactics, the cheeky mod band. Mm. Another one that I had for kind of uh, along the lines of Godspeed, you Black Emperor, I think, is uh, I Shall Depart for the Moon. <laughs> I don't know. I, I Shall Depart for the Moon sounds like kind of a high concept band, uh, at least in terms of band names. But for whatever reason, I can see I Shall Depart for the Moon either being like a Godspeed, you Black Emperor type band or a surfabilly band, maybe. They could be a surf-related band, because the moon and the tides and all that. Sure, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. Play uh, with the mermen and the aqua velvets. Uh-huh. Well, speaking of moon-related bands, I had a band called Lunar Complex. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You know, they do some, like, kind of hippy-dippy songs about the moon, but they're also, like, a little bit mathy. They're probably a prog rock band, mm. uh, Lunar Complex. Yeah, they definitely are. What other band do you have? The last one I got is, uh, they're probably kind of a doom metal, slower metal band uh, called Child of Hades. Did we not have that before? Did we? I don't know. It seems like we might have. I feel we, we had something of Hades. Mm. Maybe we tried Offspring of Hades or something. Well, we can chalk that one. We got a, we got a lot to work with already. Well, I mean, if we did have it, I don't think we chose it before. It may have been an option before. So I, I think it can still be in contention. I kind of like I Shall Depart for the Moon. What, what are you thinking? I think uh, Sneaky Tactics Okay, has a fun feel to it. I think it does, too. And that's the one that I am maybe the most sure what kind of music they play. So it's the easiest for me to describe. And it's a shorter name for me to type. And I am a lazy man, Corey. So let's go with Sneaky Tactics. All right, Sneaky Tactics. They are also the band that I would maybe most like to listen to because I really do like a lot of mod bands from that era. I would like to hear them too. You know what's really weird? Hmm. How cool Rod Stewart used to be versus the Rod Stewart we grew up with. Have we talked about that on this show? No, I don't think it's come up. Like, if you listen to Rod Stewart from, like, the 60s or 70s, he was fucking rad. And if you look at pictures of him, it's like, oh, that guy's fucking badass. Hmm. And then the Rod Stewart that we grew up with was definitely not that Rod Stewart. Like, I always think of him as being, like, a Barry Manilow type guy. Yeah, Maggie, right? That was the... That's I always think of that song. Oh, that's the good Rod Stewart. That's the good Rod Stewart? Yeah, I think really the division point is pre and post- if you want my body and you think I'm sexy. Oh, Jesus, I forgot. How did I? I that got all blocked out. Yeah, you just think of the cool era of Rod Stewart. Good okay, for you. Okay. I think there are very few instances in which, like, 
the vast generational divide that we have with you being three years older comes into play. But well, I think this one may them. have been one of those. Yeah. Yeah, I only like Vintage Stewart Hub. <laughs> okay. It just has a warmer tone. Yeah. Gotta listen to it on my tube amplifier. Mm. Corey, what was your favorite panel in this comic book? I had two that are in contention. One of them is... It's kind of a dark one, but it's on page 20, and it is the silhouette of President Kyle. After he's been shot, the bullet has gone through his head and penetrated a panel of glass behind him and is kind of flying off out of the panel. Mm. Um, And it has the sound effect, crack. Yeah. It's just It was a really interesting depiction of what happened. Yeah, that is really something. It, It looks almost like the Public Enemy logo. Uh, just yeah, the, yeah. the silhouette with the, the crack of the glass almost makes the target over it. Yeah. That is really evocative. And then, gosh, you really do. You see his corpse there with the bullet hole in the forehead before the weird tendrils start oozing out of his chest. Chilling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be something that could happen in a movie. <laughs> Sorry, you just transitioned from chilling to giggles. Yeah, well, that, that, that was the thing I thought could maybe happen in a movie, is uh, somebody gets shot and somebody stands over him and says, chilling. And then somebody else could say, like, no, he's not just chilling, he's dead. <laughs> yeah, in case anybody was wondering how my brain works. <laughs> there you go. Yep. I liked the panel that I call Pal Punch, which we talked about before, of Kyle punching Captain Hawk in the face and it making the noise bash. It is that moment of fist meeting face with the word bash superimposed above it. Just very satisfying. And he says, ah, why do I feel like I just punched my best pal? He's like, I don't know, dude. You never met that guy before. Because you're both dumbos. Yeah, that's probably it. Birds of a feather. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, yeah, they both have bird things going on. And I think Kyle just felt a sense of kinship with him when he saw him like, oh, he can't get through that doorway because he won't put down that giant stick he's carrying. I spent an hour that way last week. He's just like me. Bash. I really liked that guy. I also really liked the group shot on page five of everyone gathering around while Son of Satan tries to heal Hyperion. It is really, really nicely drawn, but it also did amuse me, kind of, because the way that Son of Satan is trying to heal Hyperion is he covers up his ears with his hands and I guess is just channeling force into it, but it makes a force blast because his power is being used, and it looks like everyone is just gathered around very solemnly and somberly watching Son of Satan box Hyperion's ears. (laughs) It does have that effect. And the last page reveal of Null the Living Darkness. It is a character who, when we saw him drawn before, he looked a little bit goofy, I think. And he looks a little bit goofy here, too. But seems to be almost like a dark inversion of the way that Madeline Lengel described angels. Just a big mass of eyeballs and wings and shit, but in a giant black cloud that is filled with malevolence. It's just really creepy, and also it does have that angel connection, because uh, he is made up of the souls of dead, unwee-laden angels. I actually had that as my choice for favorite, too, for the reasons you mentioned, and also 
just a kind of chaotic feeling of what's going on underneath it with the characters all in different levels of, of distance from the viewer, all doing some kind of action. There's just a ton going on. But then there's just this incredible goofiness to it because in the middle of all that, we've got Overmind who is positioned in a way that we're used to seeing female characters positioned where it looks like he's like on a beach sticking his butt up laying in the sand <laughs> looking right at the viewer <laughs> like see anything you like it's a uh, it just cracked me up he totally is yeah it is both a good and a goofy panel i think that is a very solid choice it also was maybe the panel in the book that provoked the most profound reaction in me and that reaction really was just like wait what what <laughs> This guy was behind everything. This was like a one and done goofy villain that didn't make any sense from like 10 issues ago. It would be like if the wildebeest like took off his mask and was like, it was me, the mad mod all along. Yeah, which is why Hulk summed it up perfectly on the previous page by saying, now what? Uh, the Hulk speaks for us all in so many ways. Doesn't he? And speaking of which... As he demonstrated once again in this issue, the Hulk rules. And in this issue, what were the Hulk's rules? In this issue, Hulk's taking a page from Kenny Rogers' playbook, and, mm. you know, you gotta know when to run. Mm. This is maybe one of the first times I can recall Steve or anybody else basically issuing instructions, which include run and Hulk complying. Yeah. So, you know, good call. You gotta know when to run. You gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk away. Etc. So true. Nobody's gonna consider Hulk the coward of the county. Nope. Man, that is an incredibly fucked up song. You ever have that with a song where you know all of the lyrics, but you never think of them narratively? And so you'll be singing along to something, and then halfway through you'll realize what you're saying, and you'll be like, oh shit! That happened to me with Dirty Work by Steely Dan like a couple weeks ago. Oh. I was just like, oh, this is such an emotionally damaging situation for everybody. <laughs> I just thought it was like about a shitty job when I was a kid, not about adultery and being wanted or not wanted and feeling used and all this stuff. Yeah, I, I had never, like, it was a song, I, I heard Coward of the County a lot when I was a kid, and it was like kind of a good time song about a guy who finally stands up for himself and beats up some bullies. And like, I was like, yeah. And then I had totally missed the part where that whole situation is predicated by a horrific sexual assault. And it's like, what? You didn't have to do that. That didn't need to be in there. Oh, jeez. Anyway, my the Hulk's rule is, I guess, don't do that in a song. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But my other Hulk's rules is that there are inappropriate times to be centering the importance of a potential romantic entanglement. And somebody potentially discorporating their body is one of those times. Kyle. I'd say it's in the top 10, at mm, least. Of those times, yeah, I would agree. Might be a good list to <laughs> come up with. Yeah, I'll get cracking on that. Print up some laminated copies for you. I mean, in the meantime, I'm sure there's a BuzzFeed list of that. That's true. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Well, Corey, I do have one more question I have to ask you. In the year of our Lord, 1982, 
and the month of our Lord, November. What Wong doings was Wong doing? Mm. So November of 82 finds Wong, and Steve was tagging along too, in uh, Berkeley, California. Wong was given a guest lecture at UC Berkeley on, I don't know, mystical thermodynamics or something. Well received. While he was there, I figured, hey, why not take in, uh, some college ball? So he and Steve went and proceeded to get some snacks and lots of beers in them and watched a Stanford Cardinal team versus a California Golden Bears, the UC Berkeley team. Pretty tense game. Steve seemed really distracted the whole time. And towards the end of the game, there is a play that was executed, which if you just look on Wikipedia for the play, you'll probably find it because there was a wacky 57-yard kickoff return that uh, had five laterals. Uh, Kevin Moen runs through the Stanford marching band who had prematurely come onto the field and controversially gets the touchdown. California wins 25 to 20. Turns out what had happened to Kevin Moen as he was running with the ball is one of Steve's flame ghosts had gotten loose and gotten stuck in the guy's drawers. And he was just trying to get the heck out of there. Maybe go find a bucket of Gatorade to jump in. Mm. I mean, really drives home something that Steve has always said, which is, "Mm, those flame ghosts are nasty. (laughs) I think it was just scared. Uh, You're such a flame ghost apologist, Corey. (laughs) Oh, come on. That's not fair. Well, that was one of the doings that Wong was doing, but that wasn't the only thing that he was doing. See, despite it being November, the other thing that Wong was doing was celebrating a belated Halloween with Steve. See, Halloween's always been a very special time for Wong and Steve. They've really bonded over it. It's it's one of Steve's favorite holidays. Anytime anybody talks about, like, witches, then Steve always pipes up, and wizards! And everybody's like, okay, Steve, yeah, fine. But this year, they didn't really get much of a chance to celebrate Halloween because, you know, they were traveling around. They were uh, doing whatever it was we said they were doing last month, (laughs) visiting Portland and uh, Mm -hmm. giggling about Fat Lever's name. You know, Mm -hmm. they really didn't get a chance to celebrate. Wong was kind of a little bit glum about that. And so Steve took matters into his hand and did some reality altering and was like, Wong, we'll have our own celebration and we'll make sure the world celebrates with us. So he used his time traveling wizardry abilities to take a movie that had been obviously set to debut in October and push it back to November. So on November 12th, they went and saw the horror movie Creep Show. Which seems like a weird time for a horror movie to come out, especially as high profile a one like collaboration between Stephen King and George Romero, tribute to old EC horror comic books, which is Stephen Wong, both a big fan of. A lot of people were wondering, why is this movie coming out two weeks after Halloween? Well, it's because of Steve wanting to have a little special time with Wong, which is kind of sweet. And he didn't stop there. He also called some record executives, like, you know, a phone call through time, Mm -hmm. and convinced them to delay the album Thriller so that that came out 
towards the end of November as well, despite it having, uh, you know, the Vincent Price part, the real spook em up theme to it. But he was like, you know, if you debut it after Halloween, then you'll have a whole year to build until next Halloween. And won't that be a thing? And that was exactly what the record executives did. They really, you know, the popularity of the album Thriller by Michael Jackson, huge, and uh, all built towards the next year, the release of the very popular Thriller video directed by a uh, horrible human being, John Landis. So, wow. That is all thanks to uh, Wong and Steve wanting to celebrate Halloween a month late. They made sure that the world celebrated with them, which. You know, irresponsible use of magical powers, sure, but also kind of sweet. That is sweet. Man, I haven't thought about Creepshow for a long time. Me either. You think it's good? I think the one with the, the bugs and the germaphobe in the apartment's not good. Oh, really? I was going to think that one probably was the one that was good. Oh, really? I don't Because the other ones aren't sticking in my memory. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the only one that I remember, too, so I feel like that must be the good one. Oh. Thought I was remembering it because it was just, you know, too many bugs. Oh, good point. It was a lot of bugs. I think some would argue that enough bugs to eat a corrupt landlord might be considered too many bugs. It's too many. Too many legs. Uh, way too many. You got too many legs on one bug. That many bugs? Way too many legs. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Ugh. Good call. If you would like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at ttwasteland at gmail.com or tighten up the defense P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon, 97294. We can also sometimes be reached on the socials media. We're up there sometimes saying a thing. You want to know what dumb thoughts are popping into my head? Uh, you can look me up on the socials media under tighten up the defense. You know what? One thing I'll probably post is. See if I can get that meme going of a uh, big brain is acting like a baby. I feel like that is an appropriate response to many comments. And uh, I'll be sure to write you a letter, Corey, and tell you what people are saying if you don't have your phone yet. Thanks. Yeah, I, I feel like that meme's probably got legs. How many legs, Corey? At least six. <laughs> That's too many! Oh, yeah, dang it. And hey, if you can't find us on the social media, there's one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. We'll be in there. We always have been. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's heart this week? I am tidying the heck up. I'm getting rid of any crumbs or anything else that's going to attract unwanted visitors. Your heart is going to be tidy, my friends. Good call. Somebody mentioned on Twitter recently, you, you wouldn't have seen this, not having a telephone right now, but that when we talk about being in people's hearts, they wish that we would sometimes try to clean up some of the plaque that might be forming in there to keep them healthier. Oh. And uh, I don't know if I'm comfortable doing that. I mean, we're not medical professionals. Amateurs at best. Yeah, enthusiastic amateurs, sure. But uh, <laughs> I just don't trust myself to know which part of the heart is bad gunk and which part is i don't know a fucking cell wall or a ventricle or something so the mm. only plaque that i feel comfortable with is i think i'm gonna maybe buy a nice plaque that says heart sweetheart and put that up onto the wall i'm fine putting nail holes in there i just don't want to try to clean any plaque oh man it's gonna be tidy and cozy by the yeah. time we're done won't that be nice indeed you know what else would be nice hmm 
if people would help uh, support the show financially. If you'd like to, you can check us out at patreon.com slash ttwasteland for all your giving us money needs. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of bonus material that is exclusively there for our donors as a thank you for supporting the show and making it possible for us to keep doing the show. That certainly means a lot to me. One of the things you'll get access to is the podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That is the Howard the Duck podcast that I co-host with my wife, Lisa. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff up there as well. And uh, yeah, you should come, uh, come check it out. Good times. Now, Corey, if people would like to help support the show in a non-financial way, what, what's a way people could do that? So... A way people could do that is uh, helping other people find and engage with the show. Mm. Um, just a bunch of different ways to do that. Like one of them, just interact with with the stuff that uh, that Hub posts, like the uh, the battle of the band names, and then tell other people about it and get them to interact, and then maybe they'll be curious, and then they'll listen to the show, and then they'll tell other people that they like the show, and uh, you know, help it grow. Yeah, I want to make it clear that it is not a pyramid scheme. Like, like the way you're describing it sounded like maybe it might be some kind of a Ponzi scheme. But I want to make it clear that if you support the show, I guarantee you will get rich if you can just make five other people listen to the show. How does that it's work? As well, simple as that. Each one of them will start listening to you and they'll all give you $12. So help yourself help us and help us help you and help yourself and other people can help each other. And it's not a pyramid scheme. No minimum investment required. None. No. And more importantly, no maximum investment. <laughs> so, yeah, you could do that. Um, and then the other thing you could do is uh, wherever you got your podcasts, there's probably a way to leave a review. I'm sure there is. Here's yeah. a few people might, might want to leave. Not a pyramid scheme. Honest. No scams here. Five stars. No minimum or maximum payment required. Indeed. And that would be helpful because, you know, it would help people know that it's not a scam. Exactly. I did once get an email that said, not a scam, that wasn't a scam. <laughs> oh, what are the odds of that? It, that was like the headline of it. Like, don't throw this email out. It's important. And I was like, oh, well, that's definitely a scam. And then it turned out it wasn't. And somebody was like, why didn't you respond to that? And I was like, because you said it wasn't a scam. So I thought it was a scam. Wow. So that was from somebody that you knew? It was a business thing. It was when I was still uh, working for the theater. Oh, jeez. They were really annoyed that I didn't respond to them. And I was like, well, oh, that is 100% on. on you. Yeah. Seriously, people. I have been getting more scams lately. I've been getting a lot of the specific scam where they're like, hi, this is made up, not a real name. I just wanted to thank you for purchasing this software that you definitely purchased. And it cost you $700 and we charged your account for it. If you want a refund for some reason, why don't you contact us here and give us your bank account? Oh, Jesus. I've gotten like nine of those in the past week. Oh, man. I hate to say it, Corey. I think I might be on a list of dumbs. Wait, did you buy this $700 software? No, that's why I'm getting a refund. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. And here's the, here's the great part, Corey. I'm apparently getting nine refunds for it. That's amazing. It's like you're making money. But it's not a pyramid scheme. No. 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 No, no they couldn't afford that. No, pyramids are so expensive. Mm-hmm. 
It's apparently something called a triangle plan. <laughs> uh, yeah. It needs, yeah. It needs a strong base. Exactly. Exactly. A, a, a strong base and a flared base. Mm-hmm. Very important that you use a flared base. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you don't, it's going to get lost in there. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> and they knew it. <laughs>